house. No, the right no, house. I did it, get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. for 21 grams what's up look at these wow. people <laughs> a lot of butterflies you've waited a, quite a while for your big break a lot of people thought you'd get nominated for Mulholland Drive how much more sweet is it right now for this nomination it's um it's really sweet I, I have uh, such faith in this film and I'm proud of you know of, of the experiences and the lessons learnt and I, I'm just thrilled I, it's so honored all right, here are the nominees for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama. Naomi Watts, The Impossible. And Naomi Watts in 21 Grand. Naomi Watts, The Impossible. Naomi Watts, The Impossible. What if they... Naomi Watts, St. Vincent. Woo! Naomi Watts in 21 Grams. Naomi Watts, The Impossible. Oh, oh my God! Wow! <laughs> okay, I'm gonna... Thank you to Fox Searchlight and, and um, the Screen Actors Guild. It's, uh, this was a wonderful experience, so collaborative. And um, Alejandro, you're a genius, and John Lesher, and yeah, come on. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that can deal with your infinite nature. I am your host, Joe Reed. I am here with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hey, guys. Hey. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good wee hours, good insomnia time. <laughs> yeah, yes, good. Hello. Whenever you're listening to us. Can't sleep and need to listen to a podcast time, hopefully. Um yeah, we are not here for a normal episode. We are going to be very brief on this. You know, for us, it's a Saturday morning. Who knows when you are listening to this? But <laughs> we are here to introduce what we will be doing here at the Set Oscar Buzz for the month of May, which is talking about one particular actress and four of her movies. We are specifically mentioning Naomi Watts, the English-Australian... Yeah. Shentus, I don't know. Perfector <laughs> of American dialects. Truly, truly one of her great assets, of her many great assets, is she does a flawless American accent. I wonder sometimes if the fact that she is both of both Australian and English extraction, whether that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, I don't know. I don't know why that, scientifically, why that would help with doing such a great American accent, but she really, truly is very good at it. Better than, I would say, better than her cinematic bestie, Nicole Kidman, even. Oh, yeah. And, like, Nicole's American accent isn't bad, but, like, listen to, like, her as, like, Chase Meridian in Batman Forever. And it's, like, it is a chewy American accent that, like, she's really kind of, you know, she's working it over. And in a movie like that, it really works because like everything about Chase Meridian is so dramatic. Like, but along with the rest of the movie, of course. But um, I'm trying to think of like a more naturalistic Kidman American accent that like, 
Rabbit Hole? Yeah, Rabbit Hole's a good one. And yeah, she's good. Like her she's good in Rabbit Hole. But there's still a little bit of like you can always tell there's like some Nicole behind there. It's just like there's a little bit of like where did you come from? Those scenes with her and Diane Weist in uh in Rabbit Hole and it's like and Diane Weist is of course like salt of the earth, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there's a little bit of like where did, where did Nicole come from in this sort of genetic line? <laughs> but it's funny because uh, Diane Weist had earlier played her aunt in Practical Magic, and which is, I think, a more stylized movie. And that one, you know, there's, you know, Nicole's accent. Hold on to your husband's girls. Hold on. To, that's such a great line. God, Practical Magic. If only we could, like, totally just lie and pretend that Practical Magic had any kind of Oscar buzz whatsoever. I know it did not. It Sorry, did not. guys. Yeah. Um, the thing about Naomi and like, I think the dialect goes into this and like, I want to be clear from the top. We're not necessarily like digging on Naomi the way that the internet sometimes does. No. We want to be firm in saying that we think she is great. She's interesting to talk about for our purposes because for somebody with two Oscar nominations, she does kind of perpetually feel like she's on the outside of these type of conversations or like the unfulfilled promise. And I think it starts from the beginning or at least like the beginning to like mainstream audiences, what she was introduced to. We are not considering Naomi Watts's direct to video children of the corn sequel that I had (laughs) fully seen. Oh, really? Yeah, that was probably the first time I ever saw Naomi Watts, even before Mulholland Drive. Oh, that's um, so funny. Listen, I watched some garbage when I was young. Um, How does it compare to the, the other thing... Children of the Corn films? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I've even seen all of them, but I saw that That's one. our next year's um, miniseries, is we're going to do all of the Children of the Corn movies. Malachi. <laughs> um, but the thing about that is, when she's introduced to American audiences with this, like, flawless American dialect and like the character that she's playing in Mulholland Drive and like the performance that she gives it kind of like starts her off her career off from this place of complete anonymity right where we can't quite place her and like it sticks with her kind of right yeah I think the thing about I mean if you want to just put the question out there like why why for our second miniseries our first miniseries we did on the films of 2003 and i think you can tell a pretty concise story there of well concise concise is sort of absurd when we <laughs> talk about us. over four and a half there's episodes there's five and a half nothing episodes, concise about uh, our conversations about any of this um but you can tell a story about you know that year and the you know the hopefuls that that crashed and that whole kind of thing and i think why Naomi Watts is the actor when we chose to do a miniseries about a particular actor is you're right in the fact that like two Oscar nominations, she's been nominated in 2003 for 21 grams and then 2012 for the impossible. And even with those ones, it still feels like we, we look to her upcoming performances as Oscar potential almost all the time. Like basically like once Mm -hmm. Mulholland drive happened, and it was this, like, incredible, for many of us, you know, debut performance. We had never seen her before. It was such a, you know, announcement of this major acting talent. She was so good. And then she doesn't get nominated. And it was so much, like, and, I, you know, there are many reasons for that. But for a lot of us, it was just, like, God, like, how could that performance not be recognized? 
by the Oscars that year. And so going forward then, there was this sense of, you know, how are you going to make it up to Naomi Watts? And then that has, over time, evolved into Naomi Watts taking this series of projects that look really good on paper, that seem really promising, and ultimately fall short for any number of reasons. She's always working with these, you know, major directors who have had major Oscar success. She'll work with Clint Eastwood on J. Edgar. She'll work with, um, I mean, uh, John Mark Villey and, uh, and Gus Van Sant and, um, Dustin, Dustin Cretton and like all of these people who have just like have this really great reputation. And it seems like, oh, well, this would be a perfect opportunity for Naomi to sort of like knock one out of the park and get another Oscar nomination. Maybe she'll get her Oscar this time. And almost every time it's just like just almost <laughs> comedically, especially lately, especially once we get into later on in the miniseries, we're going to get into her work in the 2010s and almost comedically. It's like clockwork. Every time she grabs a role in one of these movies by an acclaimed director, it's like, oh, it's their worst movie in like 10 years. Sea of Trees, right. for example. Book of Henry ended Colin Trevorrow's career. It's never, and it's never her fault. It's never, you never look at a movie and are no. just like, man, Naomi Watts is dragging that one down like an anchor. No, absolutely not. And it's like, even like, well, I guess Book of Henry is like a good example of that too, where it's like, she's always showing up to whatever movie that she's in. Like, she's not terrible in Book of Henry. She's just asked to do absolutely ridiculous things. Yes, Um, 100% true. And all of her choices are good on paper decisions. You can like see why she would want to work with Gus Van Sant on the Suicide Forest movie, right? Um, it, yeah. It, so it's not necessarily about rubbing Naomi's nose in like no. That is the failure. That is not like, what we want to do. We want to, as with a lot of things that we talk about here, we want to sort of celebrate with a question mark you know what i mean just sort of just like just like what happened there like i think that's sort of one of our many like animated questions it's just like what happened there what was what was going on there even for things that aren't necessarily um poorly reviewed like we're gonna be talking about the painted veil upcoming that is not a movie that was poorly reviewed and yet still there was an impediment there. Um, we've talked mm-hmm. about we talked about I Heart Huckabees um, several months ago on this show, and not only a movie we love, but a performance of hers that we love. She's fantastic in that movie, but mm-hmm. there are re- there are reasons why it didn't happen. Um, yeah, I also think she's also a good performer to do if we're gonna do miniseries about performers. She's a good one because even though we have four movies and we've already done two, if not more. Of her movies, just J. Edgar and I Heard Huckabees, right? I guess that's right, yeah. Um, but we have these four movies we're doing. We're doing La Divorce, The Painted Veil, Diana, and St. Vincent. Yet there are still more options so we many could more. have done. So many more. But we... like, 
we wanted to focus on the ones that felt like we could focus more on her. We've already recorded La Divorce, and it turns out you can't really... There's not a ton necessarily to say about her for that movie, but, like, she has her face on the poster. Like, it was advertised as a Naomi Watts movie, like, follow-up to Mulholland Drive. But, like, something like the glass castle where she's not in it all that much. And we're going to spend more time. Like we would spend more time talking about like Brie Larson and sure. Um, Daniel Crichton. Yeah. Totally. Um, you have seen fair game. I have. In fact, I have not. And you've seen it fairly recently. Well, they did a re-edit of it for uh, Netflix, maybe two years ago, maybe less than two years ago. Time has ceased to The re-edit everyone was clamoring for. I watched, I literally watched both of them together, and I still can't quite tell what exactly was changed. The changes were so minimal, were so inconsequential to it, I, I didn't quite know what the point of it was. Fair Game remains a very middle of the road movie. Like there's there's yeah. and I love again great director Doug Lyman who has made some of um, my favorite movies just in general. Directed Go, directed um, Edge of Tomorrow, and sorry, Live Die Repeat. Fuck off. <laughs> I, nothing <laughs> makes excuse me, me excuse me. It is Edge of Tomorrow colon Live period <laughs> Die period Repeat. Is there a third period? There might not be. Well, that would even make me angrier because if you're going to do the first two, just like go the whole goddamn nine. It should be live, period, die, period, repeat, repeat question mark. <laughs> Here we go again. All right. So yeah. um, I bring up fair game though because that feels like one of the options that we could have done. And I think we ended up choosing Diana over it, which feels like the right decision. But like yeah. fair game is the one that was put her front and center it like had a whole trajectory it went to can yeah then did like the oscar gauntlet and fell down yeah it had the whole thing where there was the kate beckinsale movie from i want to say the year before so it was like nothing but the truth nothing but the truth which was actually pretty well reviewed although nothing really happened for that one either so yeah, we wanted to take this time for a mini episode to sort of just like set the table because we do in our Le Divorce episode with um, special guest Bobby Finger, we kind of hit the ground running and there's a lot of other topics besides Naomi. So we wanted to take this time to really kind of set the groundwork. It's She's an interesting, you know, sort of actress overall. As I, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, English and Australian heritage, her She's Welsh on one side of her family and Australian on the other, I think, is how it works out. She was born in England, but she was she basically spent her formative schooling years in Australia. That's where her acting career started. Her father was like a uh, a road manager for Pink Floyd, which is not a thing that I knew. Um, and He's on the money track somewhere oh one of the like uh, i think i tangentially voices or whatever remember that from an interview with her yeah oh that's interesting Um, so she comes from a showbiz background and he died in 1976 of a heroin overdose so like that's oh wow a lot that i did not know um her older brother is a photographer anyway so she moves to australia she goes to school in australia that's where her career starts she is famously very good friends with nicole kidman they kind of come up together in australia they're in this movie that was released i believe 
1991 in the States called Flirting. It's uh, sort of... Also starring Tandy Newton. Right. Aussie uh, boarding school sort of like sex comedy with Noah Taylor, Tandy Newton, Nicole Kidman, Naomi Watts. And it's funny Imagine because... That sex comedy with Noah Taylor. Yeah. It's funny. I, 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 I'm... I'm <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> the sex cut, but it's like it does fit in that way because it's like all the boys in this movie are like pasty, skinny, sort of just like you know grody little cretins. These sort of like yeah, Anthony Michael Hall in a oversized blazer. Yeah, yeah, basically, exactly. Um, and so it's it gets released in like 1990, 1991. But what's weird is so this whole thing is like a, a boarding school comedy. By that time, Nicole Kidman had already been in. Uh, dead calm playing like a fully adult woman who's like she and Sam Neill go on this boat the whole premise of dead calm is that she and Sam Neill who are married go on this boat to like get their minds off the fact that they had a child who died in a car accident so like she's dead playing calm kind of rules dead calm is fantastic movie. it's so good Billy Zane has never been hotter in anything than when he's playing a sweaty murderer <laughs> <laughs> a sweaty rapist murderer oh my god it's yeah i guess i shouldn't like get too You'll far feel down so the much sexy conflict watching that movie everyone if you haven't it's watched true. dead calm you should totally watch it's great dead calm. but so now she's like and she's back to playing this like you know teenager essentially in what to me looks like a ridiculous wig if it's not a ridiculous wig then nicole was wearing her hair very long during the flirty era the flirting era anyway that movie is sort of like a um sort of curiosity and her filmography at this point before Naomi's filmography before we get to Mulholland Drive is really kind of fascinating so like as I said flirting in 1991 her next sort of like movie of any kind of note especially in the states she's in Tank Girl she's essentially the second lead in Tank Girl which is a movie that did not go over well um, but is very stylized. It's very like Lori Petty. It's essentially Mad Max with a female protagonist and like dumber. It's like Mad Max meets Super <laughs> Mario Brothers kind of where <laughs> she's Lori Petty is this like post-apocalyptic, like whatever crusader against Malcolm McDowell, who is the big bad guy. And there's water shortages, of course, because there's always water shortages. And Naomi Watts plays Jet Girl, who's like, you know, her second in command and it's a really odd movie like ice t plays this like man dog hybrid who like runs this gang of of like man dog uh mutants or whatever it's very how have i never seen tank girl this sounds like exactly something i would love it definitely seems like something maybe we should watch together at some point soon because i either (laughs) saw it back then or just saw a lot about it back then and i like i weirdly retain a lot of information about that movie to the fact that like just watching a trailer of it i was just like oh right this is so fucked up and weird um Naomi's in, as you mentioned, Children of the Corn for The Gathering. She's the main character in that movie. Um, it's like Magic the Gathering. Yes, it is. And the magic is it went straight to DVD or went straight to video. I guess in 1996 it would have been video. Um, she's in that movie 
Do you remember Dangerous Beauty? Do you remember seeing ads for Dangerous Beauty? I remember the poster for Dangerous Beauty. Right. A lot of like naked back uh, imagery uh-huh. in um, Dangerous Beauty. And like Beauty. a satin sheet. The whole thing. So first of all, a couple wild things about Dangerous Beauty. One of them is it's the story of a courtesan in the nine or whatever, 1500s or whatever, like um, Inquisition times. Because essentially she becomes like so powerful and like influential as a courtesan that she gets tried for witchery from like the Inquisition. And like essentially she's like encouraged to go into uh, the life of a courtesan by her mother, played by Jacqueline Pissett, because she can't be with Rufus Sewell, which how tragic that like your whole life goes down a certain path that leads to like you being executed by the inquisition because you want Rufus Sewell. Um, I mean, tragic, but also if Jacqueline Bissett tells you, yeah, to become a you kind of do it. You listen to Jacqueline Bissett. And she, even if she's drunk at the globes, right? Yeah. Especially if she's drunk at the globes. Um, but so Rufus Sewell can't be with this woman played by Catherine McCormick because he's married or at least like betrothed to Naomi Watts, who's like the noble, sort of like the boring noble woman, right? Anyway, Moira Kelly's in this movie. It's like totally wild. But the wildest thing is that it's directed by Marshall Herskovitz. It's one of the two movies that Marshall Herskovitz uh, directed. Marshall Herskovitz, of course, <laughs> was the producing partner of Edward Zwick, who made like... 30 something together and my so-called life and like they've done these the whole like weird duality of edward zwick is great television really like kind of bad movies right so we've talked about edward zwick on the love and other drugs episode is that the only zwick we've done feels like we could that do is more the only zwick we've, he I tends to get the only zwick we can he tends do. to get like one nomination in like weird categories he's directed the right, last samurai right. he directed defiance all this sort of stuff anyway um, okay i'm so upset i'm I, I am so obsessed with this whole story you're telling me about dangerous beauty because now i guess i have to see dangerous beauty but who is naomi in dangerous beauty she is is she of any consequence she is the woman who rufus sewell is married to that um Uh, that he now cannot be with Catherine mccormick's character so that's why she has to go become a courtesan so like naomi watts is essentially the heavy in this movie she's like the you know the the good wife who probably i haven't seen this movie either but probably like rats her out to the inquisition <laughs> you know what i mean is right seemingly likely um she has an additional voice credit in babe pig in the city which seems sort of like an australian thing and then speaking of mad max <laughs> right and then right before maholland drive in 2001 she hit sundance with a movie called ellie parker which also i've never seen and i always assumed by the title that it was a costume drama because the title ellie parker just sounds like something that like a jane austen contemporary would have like written yeah, yeah or whatever yeah, yeah. oh no it's like an extremely almost self-referential digital video indie about an actress who's like going on all these like ill-fated auditions and it seems sort of like a cross between walking and talking and slacker like it seems very yeah. it's very indie it's very it looks gross as hell in terms of like the digital video remember how we talked about um the in the tadpole episode yeah tadpole. right how like early digital video looked like absolute shit it looks now like something that she filmed during quarantine like it's it has that (laughs) sort of she has better quarantine content than this though 100 her instagram quarantine content is wonderful right 
So it also makes me kind of curious, although I think I pro- just from looking at the trailer of Ellie Parker, I think I'll hate it. But like all of this early Naomi stuff really does make me want to go on a little bit of a, a rabbit hole dive down pre Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. Naomi. Yeah, the Ellie Parker thing, I remember that because they, like, redid it or something? They, like, remade it or made, like, a sequel? It was originally a short film. Yeah, and they, after she gets famous, they, like, redo it in a different form, and it still goes Oh, right. (laughs) Right, yeah. Then, yes, so it was the short film that was in 2001 that's right i have my but i have I it thought backwards there was like it a sequel maybe they a did feature. one after mulholland drive and then still went back to it like they must be like pals it's very out. possible it's very possible anyway it looks fully obnoxious and i want to check it out but then sort of you know the sea change happens mulholland drive 2001 david lynch Casts both her and Laura Herring essentially from their headshots, which is very sort of like thematically appropriate to the mm-hmm. movie. I'm sure that was not lost on him doing that. She talks about there's a. Well, what happened was I I, um, I got called to go and meet with David Lynch, and his casting process is is one that he he looks at a stack of photographs and then he picks four or five that he likes. Luckily, my brother took the photo and he liked that photo and, I don't know, something honest must have come through. Um, and, um, and if he meets, you know, if he picks up four photos and he's met girl number two and he loves her, goodbye number three and four. He's just very intuitive, David. He talks in that funny voice. Okay, Naomi, now tell me about yourself. Yeah, oh, that was bad. Okay. Gave her a chance to show off her fantastic <laughs> David Lynch impersonation, which sounds like a cross between the actual David Lynch and like a Hollywood agent of the 1940s. Which is somewhat <laughs> David I mean? Lynch. It is, um, I've, I've heard her do it elsewhere before. It's thoroughly unwell, but also it, shockingly <laughs> accurate. And like this, this goes back to her having like the perfect American dialect for someone who is not an American. It's because she can do yes. David Lynch. And I don't know who else could do David Lynch. Not even Laura Dern really does. I've a heard good somebody David else Lynch. do David. And and I've seen Laura. I also break that out. But yes, I think Naomi's Naomi's Lynch is top notch. Um, oh, one of the things before we dive into Mulholland Drive for a second, she was in an NBC series that lasted very short called Sleepwalkers, with her and Bruce Greenwood and a couple of other sort of like oh that person from that thing. Uh, people about a team of scientists who like um, enter into people's nightmares <laughs> to like solve crimes or whatever. It um, it premiered, as I said, 1997. It was part of a block of television shows that NBC aired on, I want to say, th- uh, Friday nights, Saturday nights, one of those nights that like don't get programmed anymore. Um, it was their, yes, it was Saturday. It was their th- Saturday Thrilogy, um, where it was that and Profiler, if you remember Profiler, and The Pretender. So all these sort of, like, very high concepty shows that, like, network TV doesn't make anymore. Like, network TV does not do sci-fi, horror, supernatural, or whatever. It was co-created by David S. Goyer, sure. who did um, 
the wrote some of the Blade movies, Dark City, um, some of the Christ- all of the Christopher Nolans. I can't remember. Uh, some um, of the Batman. Anyway, yeah, at least. Um, see, right. The Christopher when I Nolan saw this Batman. credit, I thought that there was some odd chance. Do you remember Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, the horror movie? I sure fucking do. That looks like the, the nightmare jellicle ball about to begin with all of the scary <laughs> cats. It like terrified me as a child. This is just an episode it's of me talking guy... about trash horror movies that fully don't exist at all. No, look I want to. I want to look up Sleepwalkers for half a second. It was. It was never a Stephen King um, book or short story. I think it was like a his first ever like. Exp- Exclusive screenplay. It stars the guy who played Holly Marie Combs's husband on Charmed, um, Manchin Amick from Twin Peaks. You know, speaking of David Lynch from Twin Peaks, among other things, currently Riverdale, where she's last I watched Riverdale, she was fucking amazing, and Alice Kriege, who was the, the Borg woman on Star Trek, among yeah. again other things. She, well, she's the like she's the like scary mommy, right? So like. Alice Kriege and, and Brian Krause, the main boy, are like uh, cat people. Scary, sexy cat alien people, maybe? And poor Madchen Amick has to, like, is, like, dating this boy who seems like a perfect, like, blonde-haired, corn-fed, like, middle American boy. And she's so terrified to discover that he's a cat monster. And it's so bad. But I have to imagine it got Razzie nominations because it was one of those, like, it didn't. That's funny. It wasn't one of those, like, everybody agreed that this is a terrible movie back then. But if you ever catch it on TV, it's wild as shit. So, like, not unrecommended. But that's not the Naomi Watts Sleepwalkers. Naomi Watts' Sleepwalkers was different. Anyway, back to Mulholland yeah. Drive. I don't know. Mulholland Drive changed the game, though. She gets um, National Society of Film Critics gives her best actress. Chicago Film Critics Association gives her best actress. She finishes runner-up at both New York and Los Angeles Film Critics. She finishes runner-up to Sissy Spacek in both of those. And if you're following the Critics Awards phase of the the you know awards season, which is one of my favorite phases because... <clears throat> Because it feels like it's one of those, like, anything could happen. It's just before the Globe nominations. Possibilities are wide open. And it seems like any any single critics organization could tip the balance in one way or Mm -hmm. another. Or, like, throw somebody interesting into the mix. And it doesn't always happen. But, again, hope springs eternal. Feels like, especially lately, it really doesn't happen the way that, like, it kind of used to that you could push someone like Naomi Watts really right. close to a nomination. Right. It it doesn't. But I do think lately the major critics groups, specifically New York and LA, do seem to be taking it upon themselves to try to throw different names right. into the room. They're doing New their York job and they're recently... doing advocacy and trying to do what they can. It's just not as successful as it used right. to be. Tiffany Haddish gets supporting actress from the New York Critics. Regina Hall for uh, Support the Girls recently got a Best Actress citation. They're they're doing their best to expand the season, and that is, you know, appreciated. So then the Golden Globes happen. Golden Globe nominations come out. Mulholland gets Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, and Score nominations, but nothing for any of its actors, including Naomi. And that kind of... 
snowballs down to ultimately it only getting one Oscar nomination. It's sole Oscar nomination as Best Director, which I always and find And that's the second time that it happened to David Lynch. Right, because that was also the mm-hmm. case with Blue Velvet. Yeah, yeah, that's why. That's a great. That's a stat up there with um, both Ang Lee and Alfonso Cuarón having two Best Actor wins and no Best Picture. Best wins. Director wins. Um, or, yeah, actor. what did I say? Actor? I would love to see Ang Lee win Best Actor. He deserves it. He truly does. He deserves all, all good things to come to him. Yeah. So yeah, the the Mulholland Drive thing with Naomi. Obviously, Chris, you can speak to. Um, there was category confusion for her. The the campaign could have been more streamlined. It's one of those performances. And like, it feels kind of trivial to put it in terms like this, but like it's, I look back at her not getting nominated for it. And it almost feels like complimentary to the performance because I think it is largely people didn't, it took a while for people to realize even being told that she's playing two different characters like even when you're first watching yeah. it, I don't think I think it might click into place with you at some point. But like, there's not necessarily the explicit. And I mean, the movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when it was advertised, you didn't know that there would be this whole other narrative in the back half of the movie, right? I mean, you can kind of expect oh, that absolutely. from David Lynch to an extent, but like. Right. The turn that happens after they go into the the blue box, essentially, they put the key in the box and they sort of tumble mm-hmm. into there. Yeah, that whole thing was a, was the big twist of the movie. That was the one that everybody tried to um, untangle and explain. And normally I'm very resistant to, you know, explainers of big sort of complicated and intentionally confusing movies that sort of just want you to sit with it. But I've read explainers for... There was a very, very famous one. I want to say Salon did for Mulholland Drive back in the day. And then I've also read explainers for Inland Empire. And Inland Empire, um, you're essentially just making your best guess as to what it's about. And that's fine. The movie is a lovely bunch of coconuts. It is insane. Um, Uh Uh-huh. But I I get a lot out of trying to untangle those plots, even though in many ways they're meant to be... I feel like Mulholland Drive is pretty clear what it's about. Like when I read that explainer, I I was like, yeah, that's that's what I thought it was just from seeing the movie. But I also kind of needed that. I needed somebody to just be like, yeah, like that is what's happening. (laughs) That is that it is the fever that the beginning of the film is this fever dream of this woman on the brink of suicide whose career in Hollywood has hit Mm -hmm. the skids, never became what it Want, what she wanted to be betrayed by, you know, lovers and friends and this kind of thing. And then she imagines this sort of idyllic life for a young ingenue who makes gets into Hollywood, kills her audition, um, makes this friend who eventually, but then eventually sort of inexorably, it's led down a path towards um, mystery and, you know, scariness. Right. And there's obviously all these, like, like, because originally it was supposed to be a television series. Originally, it was supposed to be a television spinoff of Audrey Horn from uh, mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, like in its very, very initial conception. And then it was to become just a, te- a television series about the characters that we get in Mulholland Drive. ABC at the last minute kind of balks at it, and it 
turns into this movie that has, as a television series would, you know, goes down a lot of these avenues that ultimately don't lead anywhere. And I think that's what one of the things that confused a lot of people was, why are we getting this thing with the P.I.? Why is Robert Forster such a major character? Why, why, oh, why this creature behind the dumpster, even though it's <laughs> the one of the scariest things, scenes. one of the scariest things in all of cinema. See, I actually think David Lynch ties up a lot of those like hanging chads if you will by like making it part of her fantasy because uh diane's like fantasy version of what she's creating in her head a the woman that basically like dumps her and like doesn't love her back is incredibly reliant on her so like that's the like fantasy vision she creates she also creates this like vision where it's like maybe if it's not her but like whatever the casting situation that happens it's not because of any lack of ability it's that there's like this shady shadow organization going on that calling shots that she has no control over and is obviously like a force for evil in this world um michael j anderson one of the great sort of um mysterious figures in both lynchian stuff and also he was so good on that hbo series carnival if you ever watched that i did not oh so good anyway anyway she's amazing in the movie and i just feel like if you watch that movie with the concept of and, like, this goes back to the an- anonymity thing that I'm talking about. Because if it's an actress that you don't know who she is, and, like, she's pulling off this American dialect and then showing up for interviews with an Australian dialect, and it's, like, already creating confusion right. over a performance that, like, is so good, yeah. there is at least a, a period of time when you're watching the movie that you are not sure that it is the same actress. Well, and there's it, it sort of paints the difference between a breakthrough performance from a star and a breakthrough performance from an actress. And that's not to say that Naomi Watts isn't now a movie star, but I think the Mulholland Drive performance is the kind of performance that that announces the arrival of a great mm-hmm. actress. Whereas something like Jennifer, well, Jennifer Lawrence is different because she had Winter's Bone, but I always think of like Silver Linings Playbook. It's not a surprise that Jennifer Lawrence won the Oscar for that because that is the arrival of like this girl Mm -hmm. is a star. And um, now I'm trying to think of a more appropriate sort of like debut performance that is, but I think, but I think what you're talking about is there are many ways for Naomi's performance to be so much in service to the movie that it doesn't. Um, sort of give you this sense of it's it's Naomi. She's here. She's you know in bright lights and and above the title. But and all this it's kind of also stuff. like that's a a really interesting point to bring up that type of distinction because when you're talking about that year's best actress race, it is stacked with especially Oscar's idea of a star that they want to anoint because the people she. Yeah. Lost out to a nomination to Holly Berry obviously wins. Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge, obviously. Renee Zellweger for Bridget. And Nicole had that year where she had the two mm-hmm. great performances, Moulin Rouge and the others. Uh, Renee yeah. Zellweger for Bridget Jones's Diary. And then Sissy Spacek has like this huge comeback in In the Bedroom. And Judy Dench for Iris, which is like the one you could probably sub out. I remember almost nothing about that movie, but like this is the phase where they're not going to nominate judy dench for anything because she is a star by like oscar terms here's my question to you where do you think if you were going to make a guess 
where did Naomi Watts finish in the Best Actress voting? I would be willing to bet that she was not sixth place because I feel like if Oscar really liked Mulholland Drive more, it would get more than a David Lynch nomination for Best Director and nothing else. Like, that could have been a score nominee. Lynch could have been nominated for the screenplay. I agree with you. Could have been. Was she seventh, though? Because not only was there, there was... I remember the the other women in contention that year. There was Tilda Swinton in the deep end, who I can't imagine that for a while sense. seemed maybe, but like I remember her being like in that mix for a while, and I can't remember whether she got a Globe nomination for that or not. But like she was definitely in the mix. And then also there was all that talk of whether Kidman would split her mm-hmm. own vote too much. And not get nominated at all. And I feel like I could see Nicole for the others showing up in sixth or seventh Totally. Absolutely. And I would say maybe even Audrey Totu was above Naomi Watts. Oh, for Amelie that year. I always forget about that. Because Amelie did so well. Which, like, that sounds crazy to vote for Audrey Totu over Naomi Watts. But... Yeah. I don't know. I just think there might have been more spread. There was also the talk of Jennifer Connelly possibly showing up in lead. Jennifer Connelly. Oh, right, because didn't wasn't she SAG nominated? Yeah, in which lead like SAG is for how a beautiful it was. Mind? Sub- SAG goes off of what you're submitted, and it's like a clerical error. But like, she is also a co-lead of that movie. Yeah. Tilda Swinton, by the way, did get a Golden Globe nomination for The Deep End. She also got an Independent Spirit Award nomination for that movie. So she was definitely in the mix mix for sure. That's a really interesting year. But so not to like, um, you know, leave Mulholland Drive in the dust. I do love talking about that movie. But one more movie to sort of lead up to the door of La Divorce before we, you know, pass you on to our La Divorce episode is The Mm -hmm. Ring, which is a movie that we talk a little bit about with Bobby uh, on our La Divorce episode. But truly underrated as an acting achievement. Mm-hmm. I think people really, you know, love that movie for good reason. It's iconic for so many of its images, but I just love her performance. We talk about it movie. in the episode, so you're right? Because like it is a performance that makes that movie work and a performance that makes his, that movie as scary as it is. But like, I also to like put the like finer button on the point i think like that's one of the movies that she got most screwed for because we talk about it in the episode about how like that movie made money she is the star of that movie but like she was basically excluded from all marketing materials and like got no credit for that right movie's success it was samara's movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, she's really fantastic. There's that scene that I always love to watch with uh, her and Brian Cox where she's yelling at him about, you know, what did you do to your daughter and that whole thing. And it's ultimately, it's a Brian Cox scene because he gets to yell and holler and ultimately, like, electrocute himself in a bathtub full of TV monitors and Jesus. extension cords and whatnot. It's, it's do you remember that yes, scene? It's a fantastic it's terrifying. scene. But, like, she keeps up with them in a way that, like, I think we don't, properly value how difficult it would be for an actress to keep up with and sort of go toe to toe with him in that scene. I think she's really fantastic. I guess to like conclude the Mulholland drive and her performance conversation before we get into the actual mini series, the sad thing about the Mulholland drive performance for me, because like with maybe the, maybe the exception of 
Huckabees, it doesn't feel like she's ever again placed with the director. And she's worked with some of the best directors. She's never placed with a director who can kind of use all of like the kind of gifts that she has or like has a perspective on her performance and what she's doing that's ever really that interesting again until maybe loose just last year um did you see loose i did she's great everyone's great in that movie it's like octavia spencer's best performance um and not a lot not enough people saw that movie um so yeah like it feels like she's always in these parts that like don't ever ask her to do as much as those movies do We'll talk throughout our miniseries. Um, we'll hopefully end up at a place where we sort of look ahead for Naomi and and talk about what, you know, might be the kind of role that would do it for her. But yeah, I think there's a temptation to sort of look at her career with a little bit of um, disappointment in that it really does feel like Mulholland Drive would have been the moment for her. And if that had come later in her career that's maybe something that she could have won for. And yet it's a performance that depends so much on it being early mm-hmm. in her career. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a the catch-22 element in that of surprise. Way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyway, we're very excited to be talking about an actress who, again, we both really love and we find her career fascinating. And this is not a, a month's worth of, taken out a hit on Naomi Watts by any We means. could have chosen other so, people for that. Yeah, yeah, we could have, but it wouldn't be as would, wouldn't be as fun. I wouldn't want to spend a month talking about an actress I don't right, like. Right, or I wouldn't want so, to spend a month like ragging on Clint Eastwood who I don't like. Um Yeah, totally. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, anyway Joseph, hope, tell our lovely you will be with us where they can find more of you. Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. You can find me on Letterboxd uh, under the same name, Joe Reed, R-E-I-D. You can follow us um, also on had underscore Oscar underscore buzz on Twitter. And, of course, Chris, personally, they can follow you. Uh, At Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. Yeah, so... Thanks. Thanks for being with us. We're ready for a journey in the month of May. We hope everybody is staying safe and healthy and ready to uh, go through a journey with Naomi with us. Yeah. Talk to you soon.